Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Friday in June. Summer officially here. Yeah. All over the country. Somebody was telling me how much electric bikes cost yesterday. They said, (laughs) dude, totally my pet peeve. You watch these punks riding around on their electrical bikes, talking on their cell phones. Like, what is the hardest part of their life? And, and here's another little tidbit for you. We we raise indoor kids now. I don't mean I don't know how they do it. Like they cannot get away from their mother. Can you imagine that? Yeah. They play in the backyard. 
You can go down the park when your mom takes you down there for 15 or 20 minutes. If you're lucky, 30. Um, right? So your life is in your bedroom, on your computer. I mean, what the hell, man? Talk about living hell for a kid. I cannot even fathom that. Cost of electric bike. <laughs> He was right. Holy shit. $1,700, 2000 $4,000. you got to be kidding me. These are the bikes I see, too. Yeah, some have big fat tires. 3000 bucks for that one. Um, here's one I see. This is, oh, that's used. Yeah. Uh, commuter electric bike. $1,300. Walmart's got one for 600 Yeah, but this is what I see all the time now. Nobody rides a bike. I saw one lady riding a bike the other day. I was like, God bless you. Physical fitness. We're, we're softer than a baby's ass. Yeah, and then when a kid starts acting out because he doesn't, or she, he or she doesn't want to stay in their bedroom and play video games all day, and they want to go to the park more, or they want to just like go down the street and hang out and you won't let them, what do we do with them? Oh, they have ADHD. Drug the shit out of them. Yeah. My, my life, in this in, in in the summer or even on a school day I got a put my uniform on because I went to Catholic school right um, had to wear hard sole black shoes and I did wing tips like a man right black socks never white I'm not a hillbilly um <clears throat> and then I wore black slacks Kathleen <laughs> locked that shit on too and um black belt and um, I think I wore a black belt, although I'm not sure about that. I don't know that the belt was mandatory, now that I think about it. Um, white shirt, short sleeve or long sleeve. Mine, always short sleeve, okay? And then we had a green sweater that we would wear, button-up sweater. Yeah. Kids don't wear shit like that anymore. And we did, though. And it was like a forest green sweater. And on Friday, we wore uh, bow ties. Yeah. Clip-on bow ties to go to church. So you kept it in your desk, right? It bent up at the sides. You put it on your collar. You bent it back down. Let's go to, let's go to mass. That's right. Until we became men. And I don't know when exactly that was. It might have been fifth or sixth grade. And we discovered the whole concept of school, puberty, chicks. Probably shortly after one of the girls in our class started developing breasts and we went, what? what's that? Yeah. So we, we noticed that in class. And then we considered like, whoa, my, that might be in my future. Well, fuck this bow tie shit then. Exactly. Mom, I need a, I need a long tie like dad wears. Like, why? Because I the, the bow tie looks stupid. 
Okay. And Kathleen, she was cool. She's like, it doesn't matter to me. So we went and we got a kid's clip-on black tie. And that went into my desk instead of the bow tie. And then as soon as I got it, started making fun of kids with bow ties. That's right. That's how that shit works. Because in the, in the land of the jungle, right? That's the way it works. Survival of the fittest. And let me tell you. So I was like a little ringleader. Um, we would, uh, and I, so I would organize what we were going to do at recess. And, um, we had these little league diamonds right behind our school and we would, we would go play on the, on the athletic field there uh, on the, on the diamonds. So we'd play football in the outfield of the little league, you know, diamond. And when it would rain, we would play soccer or football, but I like playing soccer because I, I talked everybody into, listen to this shit. I talk everybody into um, playing <laughs> what I used to call socky, okay? So it's soccer with checking. So it was a combination of soccer and hockey, and it was awesome. <laughs> we would go out there, especially when it was wet, and, oh, my God, we would go play soccer, and we would light each other up, man. It was the best. We'd come back in filthy, filthy. And you know what? I think about it. The nuns never said shit to us about it. My mom, she would look at me. She'd go, wash your uniform. And she wouldn't. My mom never got pissed at me for stuff like that. And I'd go home. I'd wash my uniform. I knew how to wash it and dry it. I knew how to iron my shirt and my slacks. So I would do that. And I'd be ready to go for the next day. Let's go, boys. Let's do this shit. Right? I got When I got home from school... I had a gold stingray, that's right. No gears on it, white banana seat, butterfly handlebar, right? Butterfly, is that what you call them? I mean, they were like normal kid. They weren't like normal flat like Grandpa Schwinn handlebars. They like came up. What are they? they call them on motorcycles when they're really big ape, you know, apers or something like that. So it's just a normal version of that. That was my bike. Yeah. So, normal day, I come home from school, take my shit off. I didn't hang it up, I don't think. I put it on my bed or something. And um, I was not exactly a neat kid. I mean, I, I, was, I, you could, I don't know that I was a slob, because every Saturday you cleaned your room up, right? And, um, yeah, that was Kathleen's deal. Saturday morning, clean your room. Um, and so, I, wasn't, I got home. I'm not hanging out at my house. My mom's there, for God's sakes, man. I mean, it's not like my mom was a tyrant or anything like that, but I wasn't going to, you know, there was, what, an hour of kids' shows on? The Addams Family, Dark Shadows. Um, she was watching her soap operas. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, right? She watched soap operas. And, um, and so there was cartoons on for maybe an hour, right? But uh, Three Stooges were on. I remember that. Um, so that shit was on, and then the news came on. So there wasn't a whole lot on TV. And so come home, change your shit, get on, your, get on the gold stingray, go looking for my friends. If I didn't have something prearranged from school. And then we would figure out what we were going to do. Let's play wiffle ball. Let's play football. And we did that 
all the time. I was talking the other day. Like I said, all these athletic fields around my house, they're all locked up. Got to save them for the, those high-end athletic clubs that pay for them, right? The rich kids. But that wouldn't have stopped us. We would have just hopped the fence. And if some maintenance guy would have come and started yelling at us, we just ran the other way, throwing our shit over the fence. And, and you know, I mean, maintenance guys, they're all fat. They weren't like, he's going to chase me. Pfft, come on. We get on our bikes and, or, uh, yeah, and take off. And so, and then we'd wait till they left and then we'd go back and start playing again. And, but we, I mean, we were outside, we were doing our thing. And kids don't grow up like that anymore, man. And we wonder why they're like crazy. Um, but the, uh, but again, in terms of the mental health thing, um, they're not allowed to fail. They're not, you can't get into a fight if you're a kid. That's the end of the fucking world, man. If you get into a fight with an, a fist fight with another kid, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Nothing worse than what, you know what? There are worse things in the world. And by not allowing kids to be kids and sort shit out and learn the lessons of life, you are fucking them up. Let your kid get in a fist fight. It's not the end of the world. If your kid goes to detention, it's all right. He's going to meet every other funny kid in the school. That's right. I say it all the time. I get sent to detention, and I laugh my ass off there. Every funny asshole in the school is in there, of course, right? And then the vice principal walked in. And our vice principal, when I was in high school, he was not a fuck around dude, man. Everybody showed up. Yeah, again, Christian Brothers High School. I mean, there were boxing gloves at that high school. They would take you down to the gym and they'd tell you to put the gloves on. <laughs> Grown ass man. Like, pop you a few times. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It was exactly what punk ass kids needed. And so, yeah. I, yeah, I said the other day, get your kids in, in Catholic in, in private schools, get them in private schools. There there should be discipline, there should be expectations, right? And, you know, get them there. But the other thing is, I you know, I was reading an article, I don't know, about a year ago, about this there's this big like deal in Europe. Kids are allowed to play, like outside on their own. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're finding, oh, it's so healthy for kids. Are you kidding me? Honestly, kids cannot escape their mothers anymore. Can you imagine having your mother around all the time? Pfft, what the fuck? I mean, when we got bored, we would go over to this huge field by our house. I've talked about it. It had this big trough in it, and we'd fill up with water. I'd be down there mucking around. right? We'd be having dirt-clawed fights in it. We'd ride our bikes, and there was trails through it. And they would have little hills in them, you know, they'd, so they'd be jumps for our bikes. I mean, we'd be doing all kinds of dumb shit over there, right? I mean, you'd get, you'd like fall off your bike awkwardly. You'd be like, oh, right? Your friends would help you. You'd come home. You'd have this huge bruise in your stomach. And your mom would look at you and go, what happened? And you're like, I don't know. I think I got hit in the stomach with a baseball at school. Oh, Okay. And that was it. My God. Gored by my handlebar. When I was doing something I certainly shouldn't have been doing. Like, the hill that we were riding down was too steep. But come on. I'm a man? That's right. 
So you know I got to do this shit, especially when one of my dumbass friends does it. Now I got to. If I wasn't sure before, I am sure now. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. And then what happens is uh, we baby our kids so much. They don't have very many life skills. And then life, then they go to college or they get out of high school. And what do they do? They stay at home for the next 10 years? What is that? Like, how do you stay out all night when you got to answer to your mom all the time? How do you bring a girl back to your house when you're living in your bedroom that you grew up in since you were one? Yeah, I don't think that shit works. So anyway, um, but again, at the end of the day, what happens is they don't have the coping skills. And so when life really gets difficult, it um, gets really hard for them. So anyway. Um, a couple things I want to talk about, some news articles I want to talk about. Uh, the other thing we talk about at the back end of the podcast, after we talk about Owen West, outstanding article, by the way. And uh, again, the title of it, if you want to pull it down, is Are the Marines in Inventing the Edsel or the Mustang? And for those of you who remember, the Edsel was this titanic flop that Ford created. And he compares the development of the Edsel to the development of Force Design 2030 and rightly points out the parallels between the two. And then <clears throat> he talks about how Ford then developed the Mustang, which is a very different developmental process. <clears throat> and the Mustang's still in production to this day. So anyway, uh, after that, the Marine Corps put out on, this is Pride Month, evidently. I, you know, I don't honestly, I, I don't keep track of all that stuff. I never have. As a broadcaster, oh, this is National Secretary's Week. I'm I don't know when that is, right? Um, and so I, I, my shows are are current events driven, not calendar driven. So I don't tend to check about that stuff. But anyway, uh, the Marine Corps put out a um, a tweet on the official United States Marine Corps Twitter account that has a Marine Corps helmet with a helmet band and um, and there's a message about LG whatever that whole acronym is LGBTQ whatever I think that's it right uh, Pride Month and they put out a statement but the problem with the picture is that's not how we ever allow Marines to wear their shit that isn't the Marine Corps. And so at the end of our discussion about Owen West, we talk about that. Now, you know, <clears throat> whenever you're critical of anything like this, the first thing people say is, oh, you're being a homophobe, you're being whatever, a transophobe, you're being whatever the phobe you know, fill in the blank phobe, you know, and I can, I can, I can assure people that neither Will, Tim or I, we, nobody gives a shit who anybody sleeps with. Um, but you're looking at that and you say like, what is, you know, this race to be woke 
now inside the Department of Defense? Who can be most woke to the point that you're even portraying the Marine Corps in a light that it, it just, we don't, we don't allow anybody to walk around in anything that would look like that fucking picture. If a, if a, if a, sergeant, a staff sergeant, or God forbid your gunny saw a Marine walking around having written some bullshit on their helmet or their helmet band or had ammunition in their fucking helmet band or some other stupid shit. It ain't Marine. And so, again, the whole race to be woke among institutions that are designed to be the defenders of the nation. And I don't I don't know who authorizes Twitter activity, but you know, you see it um just it's like the high school newspaper gone wrong. Right? Now um I will t- I will say this. If we make statements in support of Black History Month, Hispanic History Month, you know, Women's Month, then should be a statement um, that would be appropriate for Pride Month, right? Lest you discriminate. But, But there's an appropriate way to do it, not to portray the service in a way that it just doesn't exist. And so, anyway, so we talk we talk about that at the end of it too. So, uh, on this Friday, the first Friday of June, good morning to you. I'll take a very quick look at the news, and then you'll hear the Mensa Brothers. So, good morning to you.
And this dedicated to Owen West. I didn't even know the dude. But um, the most articulate, insightful piece of analysis relative to force design 2030 I've seen out there. Uh, nice going. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> so so good <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. <laughs> we just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Yeah, that remember that's the end state winning. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, currently in Quantico, sunny in 72. At Cherry Point, North Carolina. Home of the second Marine Air Wing. It is sunny in 86. Yee. 29 Palms, sunny in 81. Camp Pendleton, cloudy in 62. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 73. In Okinawa, it is dark cloudy and 77. Manila, that would be in the Philippines, the capital actually. Dark cloudy 84. Darwin, dark cloudy 79. And in Kiev, that would be in Ukraine. It is 72 degrees under mostly sunny skies late in the day. Currently at the home of all Marine Radio, officially entered into its seventh year. Cloudy and 63 degrees. Looking for a high today of 70 degrees. Tomorrow, 69. 
Sunday 71, Monday 75, Tuesday 75. <laughs> that shit is the best. Yeah. And it seems that the um, weather here in Costa Mesa is always a few degrees warmer than the forecast. Don't ask me why. I do not know. And um, and so, yeah, the weather's been spectacular. The bees I'm fighting, I didn't. There's something called fence bees, and they they try to make nest or they nest in um, wooden fencing, mostly new pine, which they put a new fence up this past summer. No, this past spring, uh, here in my backyard, and. Um, and so I see all these bees. I'm like, what the hell is that? So I've been bee fighting, yeah. And um, I thought I won last night. A few came back this morning, though. So we will deal with them. Uh, top stories very quickly. Um, Stars and Stripes. NATO and Austin, that would be Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, Agreed to push allies to boost military spending ahead of major alliance summit. Um, that's been being done for like what two decades or some shit. I bet you if you look back before this, these NATO summits, every year that would be a headline. Yeah. Uh, interesting story. German lawmakers expected to approve huge fund. For military. Hmm. Interesting. The Coast Guard made an $11 million heroin bust in the Gulf of Oman. How much heroin is it? Let's see. Personnel from the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Glenn Harris recovered bags of illegal narcotics discarded by a fishing vessel interdicted in the Gulf of Oman on May 31st, 2022. Um, they look like sacks of potatoes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven sacks of potatoes. That's $11 million? Or was there more? Let me see if there's a subsequent picture. Oh, here's a picture of the Harris. Looks really good underway. Going really fast, right? Water pumping up around it. Mm -hmm. That's how we take the glamour shot for the ship. So anyway, uh, top story in the Wall Street Journal this morning. U.S. added 390,000 jobs in May, extending the hiring streak right through the post-COVID recovery. U.S. stocks dropped after the latest employment report showed the U.S. labor market added jobs at a strong but slower clip in May. So the reason is <clears throat> the market already assumed that the number would be higher. Therefore, even a positive report causes the market to go down because the market believed that that report would be higher. Another story. U.S. lobbies United Kingdom to reconsider Chinese chip factory deal. A Chinese-owned company 
bought an obscure chip factory in Britain last year, but the UK government has now initiated a probe that could unwind the deal after Washington made it clear it opposed the purchase. Well done. Uh, Next headline, Russia's war in Ukraine at 100 days has no end in sight, threatening global cost. Um, Another story, the end of energy-free trade. Welcome to a new era in oil and gas prompted by Western sanctions against Russia that gives geopolitics an edge over market forces. That in the Wall Street Journal this morning. In the New York Times, U.S. adding 390,000 jobs in May, maintaining a solid streak. See if they talk about why the market went down. A story about the president who was, uh, I guess, on TV last night. Enough, enough. Biden calls for assault weapons ban, and a new red flag law. You know, it doesn't seem like we can make any red flag law. I mean, the guy up in Buffalo, police had heard about him, went and visited him. The kid down in Florida, I mean, we're not willing to intervene in these things. I mean, both of them had red flags all over them. Both had purchased weapons. Right, FBI got a tip about the kid in Florida. Like we can. I don't know. It's just you see this stuff. So more red flag laws. Yeah, I guess knock yourself out. <clears throat> um, you want to raise the the age to purchase an assault weapon. The guy who went in in Oklahoma was that yesterday, the day before bought an AR-15. I don't know how old he was. He was older than 18, right? And he went looking for the doctor who he thought had injured him and killed him and some other people in the office. Um, again, in a nation of 393 million guns being held in, uh, in, in the hands of private citizens, um, I think it's more political narrative than anything else. If somebody wants to do this, they will find a way. So the only solution is somebody with a gun has got to be at school. Uh, Next story, or headline in the Washington Post, Biden urges Congress to act on guns in rare primetime address. Next headline, Tulsa gunman killed doctor who treated him, according to police there. Interesting war in Ukraine headlines. Beijing chafes as Moscow's, at Moscow's request for support, according to Chinese officials. Next headline, Putin thinks West will blink first in a war of attrition. Russian elites say. May unemployment rate holds steady at 3.6%, a pandemic low. 
the headlines in the New York Times. Um, top headlines in USNI News. New Coast Guard Commandant Fagan sets priority on policy and personnel. The Coast Guard has a new um, Commandant, Admiral Linda Fagan, the first woman to ever lead a branch of the military. Congratulations to her. Next headline, Navy has separated 1,099 sailors for COVID-19 vaccine refusal. And the Kitty Hawk arrives in Brownville, Texas to go through the process of being scrapped. The Kitty Hawk was, uh, used to be tied up next to us or behind us uh, on the pier in San Diego, otherwise known as the Shitty Kitty. Um, but it was very unique. It had a second small island behind the first island as an aircraft carrier. So you could always, even at night, even with their lights off, you could tell the Kitty Hawk by its silhouette. Very distinct silhouette. Yeah. For all you non-carrier types who don't know shit like that. Top headline in Marine Corps Times is investigations continue into deaths of three children at North Carolina Marine Base. 6 weeks after three children died at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, in two separate incidents, investigators have not released any additional details, including the cause of death. You know, this kind of stuff is stupid, if you honestly. Um, six weeks, and they can't give you some preliminary snippet. It's just, in my opinion, it's just ridiculous, right? NCIS is investigating the deaths of the children who died April 16th, but no information is, has been available about whether foul play is suspected or not. Quote, we have no updates to provide at this time as the investigation remains ongoing. Give me a fucking break, man. Officials have said no shooting was involved in either incident and there is no threat to the community. Two of the children were sisters, ages four and six, according to WTIN.com news. The third child was a four-month baby boy. The deaths occurred in the parents' homes in two separate incidents. Base officials confirmed to Marine Corps Times in April that a parent of one of the families was assigned to the 2nd Marine Division. A parent of the second family was assigned to the Naval Medical Center, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Um, you know, when we would have Marines uh, get injured and, you know, really the the news that, you know, I was required to get to people was, are the injuries life-threatening or not? And the medical people would always give that up very quickly. Are they life-threatening? No. Or yes. And that's what people needed to know. So I don't know that why law enforcement can't do a version of that when something concerns a community like that. 
Um, top five stories in Early Bird, and then you'll hear the Mensa Brothers, minus Jeff Kenny, who is traveling. Uh, number one, biggest military pay raise in 20 years, maybe boosted even more because of inflation worries. Nice going, my son. Yeah. Um, Plantiers Carp is the first Western CEO to visit Zelensky amid invasion. The chief executive officer of Plantier Technologies quietly visited Ukraine this week, meeting with the country's president and other leaders in Kyiv to discuss defense cooperation and opening of an office for the data analytics company in the war-torn country. Interesting, right? The CEO's trip to Eastern Europe and subsequent exchange with President Zelensky and Minister of Digital Transformation, Fedorov, was disclosed on June 2nd, complete with photos. The visit to the capital is the first made by any executive of, of a major Western company since Russia launched its bloody invasion in February. Zelensky, in a statement, described the in-person dialogue as a positive signal that despite a full-scale war, Ukraine is open to business and ready for cooperation. He said he is delighted that Plantier is ready to invest in Ukraine and help us fight against Russia on the digital front line. The talks addressed Russia's cyber attacks, which preceded the invasion and continued and continued to jumble networks as well as enhancing Ukraine military's digital portfolio. Interesting. Cyberspace. Um, investigations continue into the deaths of three children at North Carolina Marine Base. We talked about that. Government watchdog finds major flaws in U.S. Space Command basing process. So who's the government? Who's the government watchdog that found that? The U.S. Air Force's process for selecting U.S. Space Command's headquarters had significant shortfalls, according to a government watchdog. The Government Accountability Office, GAO, Thursday published its review of the services selection process, which has drawn criticism from Colorado lawmakers, whose state was a finalist to host the combatant command's headquarters. Colorado's Peterson Space Force Base, which is serving as a provisional space com headquarters, ultimately ultimately lost out to Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama, the Army's hub for space and missile defense. In the new assessment, the public version of a sensitive report released in May, GAO measured the Air Force's selection process against 21 best practices for analyzing alternatives, grouping those practices into four categories. The agency ultimately found the services method did not follow best practices in three of the four areas, Damaging the credibility of the selection process. Yeah, when you fail at, at a rate of 75%, that means you passed at 25%, that's not good. Because I know. Because I know to get a C, it's got to be 70%. Yeah. That's when grades mattered. I don't really know that they matter anymore. Um, 500 Texas troops sent home from the Mexico border mission as others build fences and patrol the Rio Grande, Grande in boats. Um, about 500 Texas National Guard troops were sent home during the last two months from a security mission along the border with Mexico as officials, as military officials 
shift their strategy to stop unlawful migrant crossings by building more fencing and using boats to patrol the Rio Grande. About 6,000 troops were still stationed along the river as of May 27th on a state-sponsored mission known as Operation Lone Star. Now, this is Texas using its National Guard to do this. So that's going on. Um, U.S. confirms military hackers have conducted cyber operations in support of Ukraine. That will be an interesting story when somebody leaks it, right? Navy's newest amphibious assault ship, which the Navy hates, visits 7th Fleet home port in Japan. The Navy hates the amphibs. Know that. The USS Tripoli arrived in Yokosuka, home port of the 7th Fleet. Yeah, the infamous 7th Fleet for a brief visit, according to ship spokesman Lieutenant Davis Anderson. Anderson declined to comment on its expected length of stay due to security concerns. Nice going, Davis. Yeah, look, man, it's a beautiful ship. It's not all the rust that it will get over the course of the years and the lack of Navy maintenance, but that's a different story. I don't want to, I don't want to be too negative here on a Friday. Uh, headlines from the Ukraine war. Russia warns West of weapons repercussions and then pounds the Ukraine with its artillery, which, it, which I think is, I mean, kind of the only thing that the Russians do. U.S. pushing regional monitoring body to extend Russia war crimes inquest. That's in defense one. U.S. technology, a longtime tool for Russia, becomes a vulnerability. Kind of an interesting story here. With magnifying glasses, screwdrivers, and a delicate touch from a soldering gun, two men from an investigative group that track weapons pried open Russian munitions and equipment that have been captured across Ukraine. Over a week's visit to Ukraine last month, the investigators pulled apart every piece of advanced Russian hardware they could get their hands on, such as a small laser rangefinder and guidance sections of cruise missiles. The researchers, who were invited by the Ukrainian Security Service to independently analyze advanced Russian gear, found that almost all of it included parts from companies based in the United States and the European Union. Microchips, circuit boards, engines, antennas, and other equipment. Quote, advanced Russian weapons and communication systems have been built around Western ships, said Damien Spleters, one of the investigators with Conflict Armament Research, which identifies and tracks weapons and ammunition. He added that Russian companies had enjoyed access to an unabated supply of Western technology for decades. U.S. officials have long been proud of their country's ability to supply technology and munition to the rest of the world. But since Russia invaded Ukraine in late February, the United States has faced an unfortunate reality. The tools that Russia forces, Russian forces are using to wage war are often powered by American innovation. While the article goes on. While the technology made by American and European countries has been turned against Ukraine, the situation has also given the United States and its allies an important source of leverage against Russia. 
The United States and dozens of countries have used export bans to cut off shipments of advanced technology, hobbling Russia's ability to produce weapons to replace those that have been destroyed by the war. On Thursday, the Biden administration announced further sanctions. Blah, 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 blah. So who did I read? What did I hear where they said the most important thing is to cut off technology exchanges at the high end? I heard somebody say that here very recently. And that will cripple them. And that article um, proved positive of that. When you see the amount of uh, Western United States technology in Russian weapons. Uh, next headline. Ukraine marks 100 days of war as the Battle of Severodonets rages. All right, so that is a look at your news. Uh, what you're about to hear is the Mensa Brothers talking about something that Owen West wrote. Um, so uh, sit back, relax, um, my friends. Uh, Will Costantini and Tim Lynch join me. Jeff Kenny was not able to. Um, it is Friday, and uh, two-thirds of the Mensa brothers, for the second straight week, I might add, uh, Jeffrey is not with us, and uh, he's traveling right now. Um, he worked over the uh, the holiday weekend, and so uh, he regrets he cannot be here. Cause... And then he ta- commented to me, he said, I don't like it being on alone. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I much more prefer hearing other things that people say that irritate me. Um, so I can respond to them. Um, so anyway, next week. Um, joining me from McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Mac. Yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. What about uh, you? I thought they were paintings. You just told me they were rugs. Can you mm-hmm. can you tell us about these? I you know, and I the gifts that I got. One of my uh, my vehicle commander. When I was a company commander, he was on my vehicle named Kevin Calhoun from North Carolina. He's become an uh-huh. abstract artist. Huh. Yeah. And so I have uh, two abstract paintings in my house. One is probably six by eight. And the other one is um, maybe, I don't know, 18 inches by two feet. And... They look really impressive, right? And although I took a year of art history, I don't know shit about art, right? Although I, I will say this, I mean, I learned a lot about the history of art. The class was at 125 twice a week for two semesters. Ouch. Exactly. Therese Whitcomb would come in with carousels of slides. This is the Baroque age. This is the Iron Age. This is the Renaissance. This is Impressionism. This is the Greco, this is the Roman style of arch. This is the Greek style of columns. This is the Roman style of columns. So I still remember that stuff. And when I see architecture, it, it does help me. Um, and so, But I, I, when people come into my house, they think that, um, oh, you, Mac, you like abstract art. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love it. They're like, well, what do those things mean? This is a uh, this is of a uh, my impression anyway of this abstract artist of a dog licking himself. <laughs> what? Yeah, when I look at that picture, that's what I see. 
<laughs> like, what the hell are you talking about? So I hate abstract art, but I love the guy who painted him for me. So when I see those pictures, you know what I think of? Kevin Calhoun, one of the best Marines I've ever served with, funny as hell, and a great vehicle commander so that I could do the other things that company commanders do. So, um, so when I saw your pictures, I mean, that's what I felt. I was like, that's so cool, man. Somebody painted these things for Timmy. But even, it doesn't matter if they're rugs. Yeah, no, no, they were, they're rugs. It's it's very similar to if you were in Afghanistan and you went down to one of the local local markets, you would see these these heli these little rugs, hand woven rugs with helicopters and RPGs and APCs on them that the kids would do and they would try to sell to raise money. Allegedly, this is how it's supposed supposed to be. And I've got one behind me, and it, and this one I know is handmade because it was from one of the one of the uh, uh, work well one of the annual workshops that we would put on to teach women how to make these kind of things and make money. I would do that in Zaranj because that was in Nimrod's province, which was next to Iran, and the local climate for women working outside the home was pretty liberal, right? Okay, so, I, so I, 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 let me ask you a stupid question. I, I see it's, I mean, you say hand-woven, but so the fabric yeah. is hand-woven and then they somehow yeah. or other print something on it? How, how does no, it, how does it work? They weave it with different colored things. That's very very crude, as you see. No, they're just they're just sitting there with a making up the pattern as they go along, being clever young Afghan guys or, and gals. They they make up these rugs. Anybody that's how do they those, how do they color them and put the design on them? Do they, do they hand paint color, them? Different, it's different color wood. It's different color wool. So that wool that goes in there, it's it's just a different color. It's very similar to like uh, like if you get those plastic things, you'll see women making rugs and stuff and just punching through. It's similar to like that. Em embroidery, bit, like embroidery, like embroidery, like embroidery. Yeah, like it's like it looks like it's embroidery, but but that's all different colored um, um, wool, gotcha. wool yarn they use to make the rug. But but see now, <laughs> now they've got computerized things that do that. So what happened was. The guy that used to run that thing in Nimrods, I won't say his name because he's still there. He he got two of those rugs. And he got a picture of me off the blog, and he made like a mere thing. So when I put them to the right and left of my desk on the wall, it looks like gigantic things of, of me. And if the eyes follow you everywhere. It's creepy looking, right? So you, you go in your room, and they say, oh, I guess you like your abstract art. If you walk in mine, it's like I'm a warlord because this is like warlord shit here, man. Having this gigantic, huge rug of your of your mug, but it's but they look cool. But my uh, my wife was uh, she took about thirteen seconds to say that shit's not going up on our wall. <laughs> what about what about in your I love me room? Can it go up in there? That is my I love me room. I don't have I don't have complete control of my I love me room. I have actually limited what? control. Yeah, I know. This is the way it is. This is the this is how I have to live, man. It makes my wife happy, which makes me happy, and then right. everybody. Right. Yeah. Happy life, yeah. happy wife. I got it. Yeah. I got it. But, but I mean, the I love me room. Normally, a man has some sort of discretion in the I love me room. Yeah, no? I know. And I've got these Am I wrong? Well, hold on, hold these, on. Joining these, us also from the Greater Kansas City area is William Costantini. Will, how are you? I am grand, Mac. How are you? I'm all right. Um, would you give me your thoughts on the I love me room? I mean, yeah, do, you, so, do you do you exercise? the majority of, of control in that room? So uh, I never really had an I Love Me room until I moved to Kansas. 
And now I've got a 4,500 square foot house to include a completely furnished basement. So everything that I ever had Marine Corps related is down in my basement. Mm -hmm. And my wife used to describe it as the room the Marine Corps threw up in. Mm -hmm. Complete discretion. I hung it all up. I figured out where it was going to go. Uh, and that's it. And it's good stuff. I mean, Com I got some good stuff, you know. But. Complete discretion. Yeah, but it's in the basement, the furnished basement. Hey, you want a rug of your buddy Tim and his <laughs> Afghan gear? It's cool. <laughs> put a big-ass thing and put it right up there. See, I know that guy. I want one. Will you send one to me? I, I absolutely. I, I bet. I, yeah, I probably should because I might. They're not going up in my house. Apparently. I'll put it up on. I'll hey, put it up I'm here close. in my studio. It'll be in go. the background when we do the podcast. <laughs> if you promise to put it there, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I mean, I won't keep it there all the yeah, time, but but when you I've look at it, yeah, yeah, I got an extra one. What the hell? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, long weekend. Um, did anybody do anything exciting? No, no, the the, uh, the NCAA lacrosse championship was was a pretty decent game. You were no, you no. were rooting for Maryland, 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 and Maryland. facing facing Will's team, Cornell. That was gotcha. a replay of the very first NCAA championship. I I didn't know that, but they said that often enough. No, it was it was pretty good. I I uh, I did I did battle. I've I've got a trio of juvenile goddamn possums underneath my house. Ooh. I'm not bad. I've got two of them. I'm gunning for the third one tonight. Yeah, that's that's my whole weekend. Got awesome you. trap. Got you. Will, anything exciting? Um, I just comment on the lacrosse. Uh, we used to be able to go watch it, you know, when I was a kid, and that's when Cornell was was awesome. Yeah. You know, they had some of the greatest lacrosse players that ever played. Uh, Eamon McEnany and Mike French. And uh, so we would go play, and and it's funny, you know, you grow up there. Cornell won a hockey championship. Ken Dryden was a goalie Cornell. Wow. Then they won That's two right. lacrosse championships. Ed Marinero was a running back, set the NCAA record before Tony Dorsett bought it. And you just think that, well, it's normal to have, like, national championships <laughs> in your backyard all the time. Um, I, I would like to mention one thing about uh, Memorial Day in particular. Um you know, so I, I'm on my wife's Facebook page and uh, and I go through the memories page every day. And one day over the weekend, one of her friends had put up this post and uh, from, you know, several years ago. And I don't even know if she ever met the woman. For all I know, they were Facebook friends. Uh, and I, in fact, I don't even know what her name is. But her great, she had two great uncles who were killed in action in World War II. One was a guy named Neil D'Amato. It was uh, on a B-17 that was lost, and he was never recovered. And her other great-uncle was a guy named Anthony D'Amato, uh, Corporal USMC, killed in action on an Awitak Medal of Honor recipient. And she talked about Memorial Day when she was a kid. They used to go to Shenandoah, Pennsylvania. And if you've ever driven up I-81, you know where Frackville is. It's right on the top of the mountain, right in coal country. And Shenandoah is just a little bit north of there. And uh, so we would go up there, and they would tend to this gravestone where neither of her great uncles were buried. One was lost, never recovered. 
The other one was buried on in the Marshall Islands and then reinterred at the Punch Bowl in uh, Honolulu. Um, and uh, I remember, I think it was after I retired, her and her husband were going to go to D.C. and they wanted to go to the evening parade. And so she called my wife and I said, yeah, I can get him to the evening parade, not a problem. And uh, so I must have called the ACMAX office and got him a seat. And uh, they went to the evening parade and pretty sure it was Sergeant Major Barrett, it was Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, brought them into the VIP seating area and, and sat next to them during the evening parade. And the woman was like stunned. And uh, my wife had to basically explain to her that, you know, your family is royalty. And, um, and uh, if you look up Corporal Anthony D'Amato, he's got a Wikipedia page up. And, uh, I mean, he was killed. A grenade went in the foxhole, and he jumped on it and saved a couple of guys' lives. But it is a classic picture of a World War II Marine. Um, <laughs> he was trying to think. He was born in 1922. Yeah, he was 22 years old. His older brother was uh, four years older than him. And uh, he actually participated in the landings in North Africa, one of the few Marines who did that. Um but it's the, uh, he's got dress blues on, so it's sometime between North Africa and we talk. Big head of hair, blues with a blues cover cocked way back. <laughs> Classic picture. And apparently those one of the are, youth groups. Those things are the best. Yeah. Right, you yeah. see them, and sometimes they wear their cover, sometimes they don't. They have the big bouffant hair going, right? High and tight. Nobody's even heard of that. Right? And they look like movie stars the way they take these pictures. Yeah. And a lot of them taken what in Laguna Beach, right? Yeah. And this guy, Anthony D'Amato, apparently a local youth group of some sort took that picture and made a mural on the side of a school. And there's a, I think if you go on the, uh, the Wikipedia page, it's there. Um, but, you know, just a classic American story of uh, two guys Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, right in the middle of coal country. Uh, parents uh, were immigrants. Um, so they undoubtedly spoke Italian at home when they were kids. And uh, that was a great story. You know, great, great American story. I just, I came across that over the weekend. And uh, that was just nice. You know, great uncle she never met. Went to his, went to a, cemetery and a headstone where he wasn't even buried when she was a kid every summer on memorial day and she wrote that she wrote about that a couple years ago so huh. yeah that was a good memorial day thing for me i was working out uh i was doing yard work right and um working out my front yard and you know i've got my little earbuds on just you know doing my thing and three boys live across the street vietnamese family three boys and a girl and they were out front doing yard work. They come walking over, and they probably said my name like fifty times, right? And I don't, you know, I don't hear them because I have music on loud. And uh, finally, one of them taps me, and I turn around and I pull my ears things out. I'm like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" And they just they walked over and they said, uh, "We just wanted to come over and say thank you." And I said, <laughs> I, "I said thank you," and I shook their hands. You know, and uh, no, they're just, they're good guys. I mean, they're, they're sisters, I think, uh, 
just graduated from college. Their mother r- rules them with the iron fist. I mean, when they had to homeschool, they were in school during the day. She would boot them outside. They'd be tearing up the front yard, and then they would come in. You know, they go to church on Sunday. You right? Know, it's a Vietnamese church. After church, they go to Vietnamese language and and other stuff. But you know, it's just a very cool. Uh, the Vietnamese community here in Orange County, especially in Fountain Valley and Costa Mesa, you'll see signs on the road that say "Little Saigon." And uh, but you know what? Um, had the had the class to walk over, and I'm sure prompted maybe by their mom or dad. But very cool stuff. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk about uh, this article that we're going to talk about today. It's called "Are the Marines Inventing the Edsel or the Mustang?" It's written by Owen West. Uh, probably the most, the article that's has been most emailed to me in the entire, get this, just started the seventh year of All Marine Radio. Nice. How about that shit? Um, I didn't think it would make it through the first one, to be honest with you. Um, and, um, but probably the most emailed article in the six years that I've done this. And with notes, everybody who um, who sent it sent a note and said, um, hey, and, and said good things about it, right? Which is surprising. Normally people will send it to you and say, hey, this is a piece of shit, but you should check it out, blah, 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 blah. So I was anxious to read it. And, and so I, I sent it to to uh, Tim and Will and Jeff. And um, Tim just scared the shit out of me a few minutes ago when he said, what? Owen West, what are you talking about? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you're going to screw the whole thing up if you didn't read it. He said, oh, I read it. I just didn't know Owen West wrote it. I was like, nice, nice. Uh, Owen West, infantry officer. um, Do any of you know him? I don't know him. I I know his father. I met his father in Ramadi in 2004, uh, Bing. And uh, Bing's been on the program a number of times and uh, being prolific writer of things Marine. Um, and um, so do you know Owen, Tim? Yeah, I, I remember Owen when he went through IOC. Um, Jeff was there at the time. I think he came over when Dave Furness came over. I think he was, Dave Furness was an SPC in his company. But I, I, re, I remember him because, you know, we had a lot of uh, students, a lot of lieutenants come through whose fathers were prominent in one area or another. Normally, general officers or, or, or like uh, Owen's father, a, a former secretary or undersecretary of defense. And um, I, I have very, I remember him, uh, very positive memories of him. He was, uh, you know, he was he was a smart guy, a big guy. And um, and and. And uh, as as far as an IOC lieutenant went, he was he was perfect because he didn't do anything to make me remember him by. So that was great. <laughs> Will, do uh, you know him? I I believe I have met him once in passing, um, and he went into the Pentagon like as an undersecretary for uh, special ops, low intensity conflict, SOLIC. And I, I mean, I remember the bio. I'm pretty sure he's a Force Recon guy. Got out after right. about ten years, and he went to, uh, I think he went to Harvard Business School, and then he was with Goldman Sachs for a while. Um, 
and I think he he must have had some sort of reserve affiliation because he uh, I think he volunteered and went to Iraq a couple times. I don't know in what capacity, um, but I've seen some of his writing on different things uh, as well. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, what what I'd like to do is um, we'll kind of go around the horn, um, and, Will, you can start, um, and just read a passage that you found interesting, why you found it interesting, and then the other two can comment on it, and then we'll, we'll go to the next person, and we'll, we'll, we'll go around a few times. So, um, Will... Yeah. Um, well, first of all, before, first of all, yeah. How about a general thought? We'll go around once with just a general thought about about his piece. Yeah. Item one. Um, you know, this is a classic sort of Harvard Business School case analysis right. type of thing, right. and I typically rebel against business analysis of the military, particularly of combat, uh, because that's how we got into trouble in Iraq. You know, Rumsfeld use sort of a business case and in business what you're trying to do is get right close to the edge so that if you can make every move if you've got an employee for every job etc then you're fat and you're trying to get skinny in business because that's what helps your margin out so i don't particularly care for business analysis in the military because it leads to business analysis of combat and in combat what's been proven is he who wastes the most wins Produce the most stuff, throw the most stuff, you win overwhelmingly and at a much lower cost. That being said, this, I think, is a really good way to analyze force design because it's not a combat analysis. It's an enterprise kind of analysis where the methodology from business school uh, I think works very well. So he does a compare and contrast of Ford Motor Company trying to build the Edsel as the Marine Corps trying to sort of transform with force design. So uh, overall, I, I think the analysis fits well and he uses the echoes back and forth very nicely. Tim, general, general thought. Yeah, I, I I, I agree. The the uh, I, I agree with Will about the business analysis uh, uh, methodology. Normally, is not so fruitful, but what we're what he's talking about now, and I and I like the way that Will put it as an enterprise. What he's doing is he's taking you through some very rational arguments that are beneath the text that he lays out in sequence that allows you to think about this in a rational and objective manner instead of. Instead of all the uh, the emotional baggage that's been attached to that, and I think it, I think that when you look at it with the cold light of reason, which is exactly the way that the generals have been looking at it, um, it's just once again an uh, uh, an indictment of of what the commandant uh, what commandant Berger has inflicted upon the Marine Corps. Unfortunately, um, what two weeks ago uh, we kind of did a a piece on something that uh, Mark Kansian hosted at CSIS. And I didn't put it on the air because we essentially pummeled the two guys who showed up. I didn't think either one of them was very well read into force design. And 
I didn't think our work, and I'll apologize to two of the members of the of the of the podcast expert panel that night uh, who are who are with me. Um, I didn't think that um, the things we said elevated the discussion in any way. I think it was kind of speed bagging, you know, low hanging ripe fruit. The thing I, I, I wanted to talk about in since then is the process, right? Because I believe General Berger is, is guilty of a, of a process file, that, and, and that's what I, I had in my head. And so, um, and so then I, I saw this article, and this article talks about process, right? And to go back to the CSIS interview, General Zinni at one point, you know, you know, he's called a fuddy-duddy, right, and an old fart, and, you know, time to go to bed with your cookies and milk. You know, he said, I wrote my, was it master's or PhD? PhD. PhD in organizational innovation. And, and, and the way this innovation has been brought um, to market is the way organizations fail. And so um, mine, having that in my head, um, I, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. And so um, I, uh, I got my degree in economics. And so um, reading through these kind of analyses are, is something that I've done in my life. And normally they're really difficult. I mean, the footnotes are really important. You got to dig into the footnotes or whatnot. And I thought, um, I thought Owen West did an outstanding job. And I, and I, and again, although I'm sympathetic with his conclusions and his perspective, I think he was eminently fair on balance, both his historical examples of, of the Edsel, the Edsel and new Coke are timeless examples for people that are looking to innovate. And I thought his comparison throughout in terms of process and why that process is important, um, I thought were really, really solid guideposts uh, to, to take his argument down. So I was, I was again, I haven't read too much that he's written, and I know he's written some stuff, but I, I was, I, I was, I was impressed with with the methodology and the clear way he articulated uh, the uh, uh, his uh, his thought process as as he takes you through. Uh, the article. And for those of you that, that if you want to find it, it's in this podcast post. All you got to do is look in the body of, of the post and you'll see a link to the article. Um, all right. First, uh, first item, Will, uh, that, that broke squelch for you. Um, I, I'm going to go to the end because this is the one that got really the most of my attention. Um, so the end of it, is uh, the commandant has one year remaining on his four-year appointment. Two successors will make course corrections or seen by an increasingly inquisitive but broadly supportive congressional board of directors. The Marines retired in active duty have had an honest argument resembling 19th century German philosopher G.F.W. Hegel's dialectics, whereby back-and-forth debate by opposing sides leads to sophisticated evolution. This could lead to a synthesis of views of how to adapt the Marine Corps to the modern battlefield, testing various roles where the Marine Corps' core competitive and comparative advantages. Recent Marine Corps communications have emphasized the potential of organic surveillance strike technologies for the infantry battalion and de-emphasized long-range missiles, which were the number one priority in 2021. 
the argument is likely to have a familiar result. Most lethal air ground team on the planet. What got my attention is that when you go through the case that he makes and talking about the percentage of failures, 70%, General Zinni says 90%, to come to that conclusion, um, he has a lot more confidence in the next two commandants and their ability to turn this thing than I do. Um, the, the commandant has given up a lot, has not gotten fair compensation for it. Um, my, my six and a half years in the Pentagon, that's like a 40-year prison sentence. My six and a half years in the Pentagon give me no faith that we're going to be able to recover uh, to the degree that that Owen West um, thinks we are. It's going to take it's going to take absolute heroic effort by two commandants to come, maybe three, um, with a phenomenal lobbying campaign inside the Congress and inside the administration. Um, When you, when you look at the economy of the United States, the federal budget, inflation, debt service, um, it's hard for me to believe that we're going to turn this thing. Uh, the Marine Corps budget, $47 million, let's call it 50 two-thirds of that is in personnel, $30 million, billion, excuse me. There's $20 billion a year to play with. Procurement of that is, I don't even know, 20%, maybe, six, seven billion. Um, I don't think you're going to see a $20 billion plus up to be able to undo what's happened. And so, I, I as you know, uh, I don't believe that the glass is half empty or half full. It's usually broken with some dirty water in the bottom of it. That's my view of the world. Uh, the fact that Owen West, who is an obviously smart guy, very thoughtful, very well read, sees a way forward, um, it should give me some optimism. But I'm, I'm sort of a, I, I don't see it right now. It, it's going to take uh, a combination of a, you know, an Al Gray and a um, General Barrow type commandants, but I don't know that they're out there. I could have summed that up. We're doomed. Who will pick, who picks his successor? Uh, I think the process will be, you know, Berger will huddle with the Secretary of the Navy and give him recommendations probably at least three, maybe as many as five names. Um, the Secretary of the Navy will make a recommendation to the SECDEF. 
the SECDEF will typically huddle with the chairman. Um, it's unlikely that the SECDEF would go against a recommendation from the Secretary of the Navy. And then that goes up to the White House and barring any significant goofiness, that's who's going to be the commandant. Gotcha. So more than likely, it'll, it will be, unless there's some daylight between uh, uh, Secretary Del Toro, is that his name? Yeah. And, and the commandant, it will be a burger guy. Um, I mean, right, unless there's some kind of daylight um, in which you would continue the question, you know, the interesting question will be, um, will the process be restored? Will, you know, will the, will the shades be put up? And will there be a more intellectual, um, uh, I guess, more intellectual rigor, uh, more different, uh, I don't know, different varying expertise, different stakeholders brought in to broaden the discussion? And, well, or will it will it continue to be what it has been in the past? We can beat that up a little bit. What is the forcing function that makes that happen? Somebody has to, somebody to, has to look at this and say, "Hey, um, I think who? our with the commandant specifically has to, yeah, has to conclude that this this our discussion has been too narrow. Uh, I, there, these are, there are certain places here that I want to re- reexamine." And I'm going to put the shades up. I'm going to invite other people in, other stakeholders. So, Yeah, that's really, it has to be an organic forcing function because I don't believe there's anything from the outside. Because, you know, part of the argument for force design now is, well, it's been through all that and everyone signed off on it. Congress has signed off on it. Administration signed off on it. Secretaries have signed off on it. So why do we need to change? So the only way it changes is if the commandant, again, sitting on this side of the commandant's desk is a lot easier than sitting on that side. That guy gets to that side, he may look at everything and say, uh, I don't want to be the guy who's got to carry this thing forevermore. No matter where I was the day before I became the commandant, you know, there may be a, a, a cold slap of reality there. Um, but based on the process we just described, and look, the process of who becomes the next commandant, it's, uh, I don't know if it was in West article or someone else's, it's like, how do they pick the Pope? You know, no one oh, really knows. Right. They go inside and boom, the smoke comes up black or white one way or the other. Right. I think the process is as I described it, but I don't know. Cause I've never been inside the Sistine chapel when they're picking the commandant. Right. Um, but if, if it is the way it's been described, which seems logical. I, you know what, just so you know, I'd love shit like that. I've never been inside the Sistine Chapel when they're picking the commandant. Yeah. And I can picture somebody <laughs> sitting at home going, I didn't know they picked the commandant in the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> Did you know that? No, I it's didn't actually know the, <laughs> It's actually the H.M. Smith conference room. But, uh. <laughs> that Cosentini guy, he knows a lot of shit. <laughs> but, uh. You know, if the if the current commandant, and and again, there's no three star on active duty on record. That's that's against what's going on, and you would think 
that the Secretary of the Navy is going to interview these potential candidates, you would hope that one of the discussions would be about where do we go with force design? And if the SECNAV is a guy that's already signed off on it, and some three-star says, well, sure, I'm, I'm thinking about we take a look. I just, I, you know, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like, you know. But it doesn't, see, it doesn't seem like. seven consecutive miracles. Let me make a comment, and then Tim, you hop in here. Um, it doesn't seem like SECNAV. I mean, you don't see his ascent in the budget. Right in terms relative to shipbuilding, um, uh, in terms of Marine Corps budget, you don't see him. Um, you know, Marine Corps has you know, hey, just so you know, um, we're going to lean to the Marine Corps. They have divested to invest. You know, Dave Berger oh, yeah. is out there leading, and you know, we're going to make sure we do what's right. You haven't seen that. The, the, you oh, know, no, not at all. The Navy said what everybody said they would said. Thank you very much. Go stand in the corner. Oh, and thank you for giving up on the 38 amphibs. And I know we know you're like trafficking and, you know, and, and behind the curtain saying 31, right? How about 26? Yeah. Right. That, that's the shit that's going on entire. And again, it was predicted, right? That that would happen. And that, so, you know, SECDAP doesn't appear to be supporting in terms of, and how would we know his support by the, the, what, uh, by so, the budget? So, Will is Show famous. Me. Will is famous for this. It's not about the money, okay? It's only about the money, okay? And so, anyway, Tim. Uh, and and listen, that's not me. That's six years in that freaking building, all right? That's all it is. Got it. Um, your your thoughts on 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 Will's uh, citation here, and then and then anything else you want to pull out. No, I, w I was just going to say the, the the one thing that that there's a little there's a little blip in here um, that Owen wrote, and in the sentences during the key communication. Wait, 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 wait! You're supposed to comment on what Will just said. I got nothing to say about what I'm, I'm in complete agreement with Will. He's playing Jeff's role. God Are you him. fucking kidding me? Yeah. No, I no, I I was ready. I was ready. I was ready to go on and and start taking apart the interesting parts of this thing. I'm in complete oh, as agreement. opposed to what Will did, which was take apart yeah. the boring parts of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to go to the to the end and just sum it all up. I was going to I was going to do my job I'm a, as a podcast expert. Right. Yeah. Fuck. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm here for, right? <laughs> <laughs> you created a whole. You created a whole industry out of that shit. I even fucking give it to Grant Newsom when he tells me when I ask him a question. He says, "I don't know." I fucking shit on him. What do you mean you don't know? You're a podcast expert. Tim Lynch would make some shit up like he did about with The Wizard of Oz. So, anyway. You got to admit, The Wizard of Oz thing was really good. Yeah. If, for those of you listening, if you've never listened to, to us talk about The Wizard of Oz, you need to. You need to. Because, never mind. Well... All right, if go I, ahead. If we extract something from the... From the no. no, 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 no. Go ahead. No. You're, it's, you're up now. Okay, good. Because the, the sentence was, during the key, communi key communication phase of change management, Cotter's first principle is to keep your messages simple and jargon-free. And that just, that, that just jumps out of me because what I've seen 
almost everything in writing about this is full of jargon. In fact, just just further on down in this paper, uh, Owen says that stand-in forces were ultimately defined as, quote, small but lethal forces designed to operate across a competition continuum within a contested area as a leading edge of maritime defense and depth. Is that not just a gigantic sentence of jargon? And if you look at, and I've got, uh, um, I had pulled up the, the 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 annual, the Commandant's annual report on, on force design 2030, and that damn thing is nothing but jargon. Killer Which we, dated when? Which one? Um, let's see. Hold on a second. Let me pull this thing up. This came in May of 2022. Okay. It's the annual update to the uh, force design 2030. Okay. And, and there's nothing in here but jargon after jargon after jargon. And I think that is that is a very astute Owen to point out to this that, that you, you don't know what the hell it is they're, they're saying. What what the what is a stand-in force again? Small but lethal competition continuum, leading edge of a mere What the fuck? I, you see, it's jargon, and it's very very difficult to get any kind of uh, uh, to generate any kind of enthusiasm for to to try to sit there and assume that you know guys who are our peers know what the hell they're doing it's impossible to do that when all they're doing is lacing everything in jargon because you know what that means we know what that means when somebody does nothing but spit out jargon they don't know what the fuck they're talking about yeah you know it's it's interesting i i i saw that and it's it's almost obvious and i've said on the show a few times i don't really understand a lot of force design 2030 Mostly because I refuse to try and interpret what all those different words are. Um, and in the business world, um, you know, I went into an industry where I didn't actually know anything about it, railroading. And then I had to implement this massive IT project. And I used to call that talking Chinese, right? I'd get the experts in there and I knew that they couldn't communicate to me what we were trying to do when they started talking Chinese using nothing but jargon and, and BS. And that's what I find in Force Design 2030. I mean, the military art is what? 2,500, 3,000 years old, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Homer wrote about it in about 700 BC. And the idea that now you gotta invent new terms like stand-in force, it's I, it just fundamentally doesn't make sense, particularly when at least yeah I would say in a post World War II uh, history of the Marine Corps, we're known as a force that can fight across range military operations. Uh, that's what we bring. Um, but to invent a new term means it, it feels like people are trying to pull a fast one on me. And if this was, you know, the business OPT, of we're designing something that we're trying to get out to the field or use for sales or something, um, well, they're not going to understand it out there. It's got to it's be an understandable language. And when they start using languages that, that Marines of, our combined time in the Marine Corps is somewhere close to 100 years that we don't understand, I would suggest you have a communication problem. And it ain't on a receiving end. 
Um, he goes through and he, and, he, and he lists certain phrases. Marines historically have been great at communicating, right? Um, our, our advertisements routinely, right? We crush advertising, right, on the national level. Our commercials, right, are the stuff people stop and watch because they're so well done. And, and Timmy, as a recruiter, can tell you that. I mean, those guys crush it. And, and really, Marine Corps communications is, is pretty simple, right? And, and we have history that goes with us, right? Um, Chesty Puller saying, you know, we are surrounded, right? And, uh, and whatever comedy made about them that, that, you know, and then Colonel Schaup, you know, from the pier at Tarawa, Right, situation in doubt, we are winning. Right, I mean, you have all these great, um, you know, Dan Daly in the first world war. Come on, you sons of bitches, do you want to live forever? Right, yeah, right. We have all, yeah, we have all these, the proud, we have all these, yeah, that are classic, classic. Maybe you could be one of us, the few, the proud, the Marines. And so, um, when you see this um, communication problem, um, you know, for instance, are we a closed with force anymore? And the answer was no, we're not. We're, we're not going to be a closed with force anymore. And, you, and we heard that. I can vividly, I don't know if we'll throw out one of his, God damn it, I don't know. But I can, I, I, I can remember Jeff. I mean, you could hear him losing, you know, a small piece of his damaged mind, right? Um, right. As we were doing this, what? We're not a close with force, Marines? That cannot be possible, right? And But we've heard this stuff. And then you hear the commandant say, we are capable of any mission the Secretary of Defense gives us or the President assigns us. Wait a minute. Which, which, under which cup is the truth? Because a couple of these cups don't have what you're talking about there. And so, um, yeah. Uh, again, it's unmarine-like, right? Marines speak in very clear terms when it comes to this shit, right? And uh, and I think it's one of the problems. Let me throw. Out, you know, go ahead. Can we go back just a second? That idea sure. of close with force. I was a lieutenant, and I think it was my battalion commander, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Blackman, later Lieutenant General Blackman. I think he'd been a UN observer in the Israel mission. And he talked about um, you know, the volume of fire that he could see sometimes. And he said the difference is they didn't close. And that stuck with me. It may have been a PME there at Camp Lejeune, but, but it stuck with me that, that Marines are not only willing to close, but can't wait to close with the enemy. Uh, that's, that's in the DNA. And the idea that you're going to build a force for the future, that that's not it. Um, I don't know what the brand is anymore then. Use a business term. So, anyways. 
The um. Yeah, Timmy. Any comment about any of that? No, that 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 uh, the, the inability that, that the whole thought that we are not a close with and destroy organization to me, it's then I don't even understand what it is we're going to attempt to be. But, and but again, if we're not, then that's fine, right? Then the commandant, what the commandant should have said was, and I and I've had this problem with General Berger on a couple occasions when when he talked about we're trying to build a Marine Corps that looks like the nation. Oh, so we're, we're going to send some black and Hispanic staff and COs because between the two, although they make up 29% of the population, they make up close to 40% of our senior enlisted. So we're going to we're going to send some of those people home because we want to look more like the population. Oh, no, no, no. Well, what the fuck are you talking about, sir? Oh, we're talking about well, we're talking about general officers being too male, too white. Then why don't you say that? Because what you're communicating to everybody is, is is something other than that which is true, right? And so he, he struggled. You're not using logic. You're not using logic or reason. What they're talking about is an emotional issue. You're appealing to emotionalism, and it's just completely devoid of any type of logic. Of course, you're going to end up with stuff that's not true. But the, no, the but what I would rather he what I would right. rather he he said was. <laughs> I think we do. Here's here's our problem relative to race in the Marine Corps and looking like the nation. We do really well on the enlisted side. We get these numbers. We grow them to this. You know, you can see us in in action there. On the officer side, it's a little bit different. And then I wish you would identify the problem. The problem is finding a, a minority American that wants to be a Marine that has the ability to be a general officer. And will stay in the Marine Corps when every fucking door to every fucking corporation is open to them. And then have that discussion because that's that's the truth. And so relative to we're capable of every mission, uh, we don't have tanks anymore. That's a problem when you need a tank, okay? Like I know some people think they're obsolete, but the president of Ukraine is asking for them, Okay. The, um, and they're doing some good work on the Russian side now. So I would say, too, one of the great things of the commandant, as opposed to the other service chiefs, the commandant was always different because people could rely on the commandant to be short and truthful. And so you hear these 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 things and you just they're they're head scratching. We're not a close with force, but we can co- accomplish any mission. I thought we were rocket security forces now. Then I then I heard in the CSI thing that, oh, no, one MEF and two MEF, they're not changing. What? You know, I thought we were all good. So anyway, so I think, yeah, calm is an issue. It normally is not. I would like to, now, Timmy, you know you have to comment on this, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to comment, man. Are you? Okay. Yeah. So pay, pay the fuck attention. Um, there's a section that he writes <laughs> called leapfrogging over iteration. And I thought it was re- really well written. And I'll pull a few things out of here. Um, leapfrogging is the process of, of skipping steps. And, and he, he points these things out as he looks at both the way the Edsel was developed by Ford and New Coke was developed by Coca-Cola. Right. Um, 
This is why the world's most innovative companies commonly choose iteration over leapfrogging. Iterative companies adapt constantly but incrementally. Leapfrog's attempt to combine the latest technologies to skip ahead of dominant players. For the last decade, Apple and Microsoft have been consistently ranked among the world's most innovative companies. They are iterative companies, enhancing their leading products while avoiding outsized risks on the new ones. When they fail, they fail small. Um, And then he says this, Berger is following this infantry iteration today. And he talks about the way he's dealing with infantry here uh, most recently. The Marine Corps flipped this sequence with its concept of of stand-in forces. After limited war games with hand-picked participants, the plan was announced, divestments were initiated to make room to scale the expensive product, and then prototyping began. While its scope is hugely impactful across the Marine Corps, the standing force is rooted in maritime modernization requirements identified by General Neller throughout his four-year tenure as Commandant. Several exercises were conducted to spur incremental innovation at low cost. Berger took a much more aggressive approach. He is simultaneously pushing several lines of effort, each which is challenging. He is attempting to overhaul the Marine Corps' talent management system, including convincing Marines to stay past their initial enlistment commitments, field three major product lines, now two Marines, sensors, anti-ship missiles, and the MQ-9 Reaper, persuade the Navy to build an entirely new transportation fleet and convince several Pacific nations to provide distribution sites on the eve of any conflict with China, foregoing neutrality in aggregate, this is leapfrogging. We cannot and we will not get this wrong, Berger wrote about the effort. The the Marines' fiscal strategy also leapfrogs. In addition to funding stand-in forces by cutting successful product lines, Berger Berger also took on critical funding Berger also took on critical funding risk in dropping the Marines' long-standing 38 ship requirements just three months after Neller had re-endorsed its necessity. The gesture of goodwill, which gave the Navy flexibility to support the stand-in force design with a mix of smaller vessels, has not been reciprocated and is already proving costly to the Marine Corps. The service was forced to appeal to Congress to reinstate the minimum requirement of 31 large amphibious ships. The smaller vessel on which the standing force depends have been twice delayed by the Navy, which will not deliver the first vessels for seven years, and only a half dozen by 3030. The Marine Corps is pouring money into a product that the Navy is not eager to distribute. So I thought that portion of his discussion on leapfrogging over iteration was really well written and and very clearly not only in terms of the stand-in force itself but also in terms of the fiscal um, um, risk that was accepted uh, was really well done. 
So, Will, any yeah, thoughts on I, that? I mean, yeah, a, a couple of things in there he talks about. Um, he quotes a, a Harvard Business School professor, proponent of innovative disruption, concluded that new product failure rate was about 80%. And so in business, um, if you know that that 80% of your new ideas are, are never going to make it to market, uh, you don't invest 90% of your money in any one of those particular things. You spread the risk. And here it appears that the commandant uh, has not spread the risk despite what he claims that we can actually do all those things that we're supposed to do and completely transform the organization uh, inside it. He appears to have, um, instead of having a wide variety of potential courses going forward with um, experimentation and, uh, you know, small investments to see what is going to work, he's he's changed it dramatically. And the thing about the military and business that's different is, is that if a business fails at this, um, they go out of business and people lose their jobs um, and stockholders lose their money and the bonds don't get repaid and someone comes in, takes over the assets and does something else with it. If the military fails, we'll just leave it at that. I mean, we're only talking about the defense of the nation here, you know. And I, I as you were talking about that, I was going to use that one next. As you were talking about, it, I'm trying to think in our history. Um, Think about it. Coming out of World War One, we knew armor was out there. We we had armor, but we didn't get rid of cavalry until horse cavalry until well into the 30s. Um, Korean War helicopters, but we didn't get rid of ground and other air-based transportation systems till they were proven. You know, one one place where the Marine Corps has done this leapfrogging is, believe it or not, is F-35. When we, um, some of you aviators out there will get this better than me, but at some point, I think the Navy wanted to go to F-18, E and F, and the Marine Corps did not make that full investment saying, we're going to use that money to leapfrog. We're going to skip a generation of aircraft and go to F-35. That was what, that was was the Super Hornet, right? Yeah, that has been... Yeah, that has been problematic for the Marine Corps uh, in many ways. That program was high, high risk to the point that uh, 2011-2012, General Amos basically named himself as a program manager. And he had those people coming in, I think, every month to give him an update on F-35 because it was such high risk. And we had taken, you know, we had a big gap in capability that we had taken maybe 10 years before. And, and now all of a sudden, 
that takes the CEO's undivided attention. That's not where you want to be. Um, no, remember yeah, the, so remember I, I, the, the the readiness of the F-18 squadrons? Yeah. It was horrible. And, it was horrible. And I mean, their capability right. compared to... I mean, no, what, what we had, because, I mean, this is... Um, right, the MQ-9 Reaper's been around for a long time. I used it ad nauseum in Afghanistan. But they weren't ours. They were national assets. They were Air Force assets. They, you know, they were in yeah. support of us. And the Marine Corps, we, we didn't participate in that. And what we did was we used our fix, fixed-wing assets as on-station loitering, you know, munition shooters. And when we could have saved that entire inventory if we had bought a squadron of Reapers. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we burned up our F-18s, you know, doing, uh, you know, shooting hellfires. Over uh, over Afghanistan and Iraq, and uh, and and then if you saw the readiness numbers, I mean they were just like oh my god. And what happened was the Navy moved on to the Super Hornet, right? And so you had yeah, these I... artisans that that work on F-18s and make parts and things like that. I mean you had Marines going to museums and things like that to look for parts on aircraft. I mean you'd read stories like that. You're like that can't be true. Oh yeah, it is. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Yeah, when when West quotes the commandant says, "We cannot and will not get this wrong." Yeah, well, I like that. Well, there you, you go. Know, when you're in, you're using the laws of probability here. You're saying that this course of action has a 100% chance of success because it has to. That's not where you want to be. I hear Lynn Wells screaming someplace. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, um, better to have five different efforts that have a 25 to 30% chance of being right. Probability is you got five of them, one of them is going to come through, right? But if you got one effort, that's it. It's, it's the organization is at risk. And he says, we cannot and will not get this wrong, which takes me back to the end of the article. The quote like that, what are the odds? I mean, Dave Berger's not coming off this. You know that. And if he's been beating people up for four years, we cannot, will not get this wrong. Well, there are no naysayers. There's none that we know of. So everyone else has been, have that beat in their head as well. I sense we're going to take this well beyond the logical conclusion. Um, you know, got it. Be damned by it, Tim. Yeah, the next the next paragraph where where you stopped reading, he uh, Owen goes into what what would have been a more reasonable approach would have would have been sharing with the Navy in a prototype development of this of of this. Uh, um, uh, small combat littoral ship, whatever the hell they call it, ACS or ALS. And that way, if the Navy starts not want, if things start getting confused when it's time to pay the money, which is what he's saying, if the Navy starts balking at this incremental use of prototype to try to to to, uh, to validate your 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 force design, that's a good indicator that you don't have proper buy-in, and that's a risky endeavor for the organization to continue to go down that line. And, and, it, and it's, it's just like you're reading this and it's the most reasonable thing you could possibly read 
But, you know, you go back to that to that statement where it's jargon, 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 and we can't fail. Uh, okay, whatever. But, and I mean, again, what's, what's exploding into your head is nobody else has bought in, okay? The fact that they sit there and nod their head, don't mistake, right? Um, I always talk about when somebody tries to take advantage of me. I can't have this, okay? Because yeah. if I don't exact my pound of flesh out of your sorry ass, you will look at me like the Iraqis look at people. They mistake restraint for weakness, and I cannot have that. So I mm. will carve my pound of flesh out of your ass, just so you know, right? Which is <laughs> which is my, my intellectual premise for doing something irresponsible and something I want to do to somebody. But it's, they're, they're, I mean, when this whole thing divests to invest, the questions were asked, and I can hear, I can hear girls screaming. Wait, do you think the Navy's going to give you, right, all this money back? Okay, and so, Will, I want you to complete this sentence, okay? If the Navy has a chance to fuck you over money, they will if they have a chance (laughs) when they that's a foregone conclusion they're looking for every opportunity that they can and again think about the think about the pressure on the navy Navy think about the pressure on the navy shipbuilding budget exactly right the navy has got big problems and they're looking for free one third of the nuclear triad Looking they for no discretion on that. Looking for free they money. Gotta have, yeah, aircraft carriers, aviation, ships that protect aircraft carriers, uh, ballistic missile defense of the country. They got big things they got to do, right? They're doing what's rational if you're the Navy. The Marine Corps is at best, the Amphib Fleet is at best their fifth priority. No. And you never get to your fifth priority, right? Particularly when it comes to money. Right, right. you got five renovations you need to make in your house. You never get to the (laughs) fifth. That that bathroom down in the basement that Uncle Fred uses once every seven years when he comes to visit, that thing is never getting retiled. Right? Right. And and again. And that's what we are. It was predicted that, Right. Everybody said the same thing when it would happen. So what 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 Timmy's talking about, right, is is you're saying predicted as if there was some unknown out there. Mm, what would be I a didn't more appropriate? It. More... I knew it would happen. <laughs> All right. What would be a more appropriate word? I knew. I didn't predict. I've um, seen this movie. This, I've seen it seventeen times. Right. I know how it ends every time. Right. Um, give me one more passage. We'll go around one more time. Will, give me another passage. Uh, yeah. Um, he's talking about secrecy over stakeholders. The idea of secrecy, you do innovation in a small group. Stakeholders, you'd good to a wide group of people first you got to identify who all those stakeholders are and he says undue secrecy during the design phase leaves change agents vulnerable 
to what corporate innovation expert Roger Martin calls a heroic leadership trap. Once the direction has been set by a small, powerful cadre, it becomes extremely difficult to stress test, i.e., no one wants to stand up and tell the board of directors that the emperor's got no clothes. Um, he, uh, you know, he goes through a lot. And this, I listen. You said one piece, one part was particularly well written. I think the whole thing is particularly well written, to be honest. But but the the shocking part, he talks about the transformation went from secrecy to scale in a few months. And think, that was part of the that. problem. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, it just, it burst out and no one knew what it was. So even if you tried to pick it apart and have a logical discussion about it, that phase was lost. Done. Right. The small group had it and then everyone had it. And, and you know, interesting, you sent us a link to another CSIS discussion that's going to happen, I think. Okay, yeah, I didn't. All right, I won't watch it. I may watch it later. But did you note the rank of the proponents? Oh, yeah. They're getting out there. Right. There are four majors that are going to discuss force design. I got no problem. None of, them are, none of them are iron majors either, I would suspect. Well, I was a major once, and majors have a very important part in doing things. Um. And it's probably a good idea to have some majors, captains, lieutenants, gunnies, et cetera, in your large, diverse group that's going to help you provide input. But when the, the anti-force design people are P.K. Van Riper and Tony Zinni, and the proponents are four majors, right, that's like a scripted WWF. You know who's going to win that fight. Um, but it's interesting. The small group explodes out. Um, and that's the best that, we, that CSIS can do to get people to talk about it. I thought that was telling. Got it. And so I guarantee you that if you listen to that thing, you won't understand 20% of what they're talking about. Right. No, no. Don't disagree. Will, uh, Will, Tim, uh, a comment or another passage? That, um... No, the uh, at, at the end of this thing, losing control of the narrative. I've already talked about the uh, first principle. Of wait, about... wait, wait, wait. You were you were very critical of, of Will's first comments coming from the end of this thing. And now you're going to yeah, go no. to the end of this? Thing? That's okay. He's a podcast. No, no, no. I'm going to go to the second. Bro, second I, to the I forget about the podcast the expert, section. the yeah. gymnastics yeah. associated with that title. Well, well I've, I've, I talked about this first principle. You talked about the messaging and the fact that we've always been very, very good at, at, at messaging. And um, as, as he works his way through these examples and he starts talking about what happens when you have no ability to articulate to your core stakeholders, which would be Marines, what it is exactly that, 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 that this concept is. You don't have a a tight script, so you're using a lot of, of words and jargons that seem to be at, uh, aimed at PhD level of, of defense specialists, which results in confusion, and the confusion reflects on the culture of the organization, and that's what he's that's what he's talking about. Will these proposed changes change the culture of the Marine Corps? 
and because culture, as he points out at the at the uh, at the end of this long paragraph, culture eats strategy for breakfast. The fact that the culture of the Marine Corps is now in in a state of great confusion uh, is, to me, the strongest indictment of this of of the of the the very strange way this change has come about, and ultimately why this change is going to be not successful at all. Because what the hell are we when we're apparently some kind of stand-in force that's that's uh, doing God knows what. Well, that that's that's just it. I I I wanted to, to highlight the fact that 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 this this jargon-laced explanation of what this is all about is creating a, a tremendous amount of confusion amongst guys like us who've made a, an effort to uh, to pay attention to what it's trying to do, but imagine what it's like for the Marines down at the infantry battalion level. I mean, it's it's just the reason why this is going to fail is because nobody understands at the at at the at the working end of the of the core what the hell it is that they're trying to do. That, that's that's I think is is the 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 easy assessment you can make after reading this very well-reasoned uh, thing. Because Owen West goes to great length to point out that they're doing this iterative change, like you said, with the infantry thing, which may or may not be the case. It may be more responding to some of their criticism, but then, then he turns right, right I, around. I, I think and, you're exactly right. I, I think yeah, it is responding yeah. to the criticism. I think it's more I think it's more responding to the criticism. And so he's he's going out of his way to give the commandant and the organization the benefit of the doubt. But as you read these things, he's just slipped the poison pen right into him because Yeah, he's but he right. takes it easy on him in the end. He, 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 he writes this very, very he, he eloquent and he's very gracious to the commandant at the end. I, I was I well, I don't want to say a, I was surprised. He's a, former, he's a former deputy secretary of defense. He's you know, he's a senior guy. He's got a he's got yeah. obligations when he's writing from that rank. He can't sit there and call people a motherfucker like I can. You never, you never do that. Well, I don't call that that people necessarily, but I'll use a word because it's a it's a great word. It's, it's a great descriptor. Covers lots of different things. Flexible, flexible, yeah, flexible, flexible that's, term. That's what I am. I'm flexible. Oh, it's not flexible anymore. He's he's constrained. He is yeah. constrained, but at uh -huh. the end, he is very gracious, though he does not. Because yeah, you're reading it, what and 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 it's building to. What's he going to do at the end? It's like this is, and then he's you know, very gracious at the end. Yeah, I, I, he I he paints, you know, he paints a picture, um, and a method to get to a better place. And maybe he's trying to get people to think about and adopt it. And so he can't just hit him with a sledgehammer in the end because he's crafting the you know, he's crafting the future. He, he's he's trying to give him an out. Yeah. Uh, he's, the, the the he's trying to give him the golden bridge. Yeah, he's a, he's a young man. He could have a future in the government. You know who who knows? Yeah. Let me. I, I I don't I don't think he's restraining himself for any of those personal reasons. I think he's trying to have influence in the future, and mm -hmm. the influence would be, hey guys, check this out. There is a path out of here. It ain't an easy path, but there is a path. But going down the path we're on. Um, you know, we're on the road to Abilene. No one knows why we're going there and don't know what we're going to do when we get there. 
Where did that come the from? Way, it didn't sound like you, you just read, made. Just you, you, no, did, you never didn't read sound the story. Like you, the road. You road made to that Abilene? No. No, you never read that story. No. You need to read it. The it's road, really good. The Road to Abilene. Road to Abilene. Written by who? I don't know. What? It's it's a very famous short story though. You know, we never did discuss the short happy life of Francis Meekomer. No, we didn't. We <laughs> have to, the next road week. to Abilene is a good one. Next week. Okay. In fact, right. one of my great mentors used to quote it fairly often. Who? General Dunford. The Road to Abilene. Yeah. Hmm. Well worth reading. All right. All right. Maybe we should read it. Maybe we should, next week we should do short story discussions. The Short the Happy road Life to of Francis Meekomer and The Road to Abilene. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, listen to this. So this is this is the other piece. How did this happen? Question mark. Uh, this is, I think, on the second page as I printed it out. Marine leaders neglected key principles of change management, re repeating four organizational mistakes surrounding Ford's and Ford Zetzel and Coca-Cola's New Coke, choosing secrecy over stakeholders, testing in a closed loop, leapfrogging st instead of iterating and losing control of the narrative. And then he goes into, but I thought, I thought that was very succinct and, uh, and well-written. And then the, the, the piece of this, I remember, when something gives you the heebie-jeebies, when I heard that the people involved in this had to sign non-disclosure agreements, that I thought, in the, wait a minute, you can't be talking about Marines, though. Oh, yeah, no, we're talking about active duty Marines. Wow. Is that normal in the rarefied air of the Pentagon or the Marine Corps? And then I got told, no, it's not. And I thought, um, maybe, uh, Will, I, would you say I it, would is disagree. It, it is normal? The, the, the one time that I saw nondisclosure agreements was about um, uh, the report on um, ending the don't ask, don't tell. And that report was very closely held and it went out to service chiefs and, and vice chiefs. And they were supposed to sign a non-disclosure agreement to see it. And um, I'm pretty sure that at least one of them didn't sign that. Um, and it was interesting when that report got leaked out, the leak was actually favorable to the Obama administration. But I remember some assistant secretary or deputy secretary um, putting on the high dungeon, you know, and coming down and wanting to stop on these four stars. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Um, <laughs> but he was going to get all fired up that this thing got leaked out. And I knew I, I, I would have wagered a lot of money that the guy that was in high dungeon was the actual leaker. And because the report came out favorable to ending the don't ask, don't tell um, policy. Um, but that was that was one of, I mean, the only stuff that would go into Dunford's office that I didn't read was either TS that I didn't have a compartment for, but that never came across my desk. That was hand carried in. Um, general officer misconduct, 
which would be hand carried in um, by typically the SJA or Mr. Hogue. And I can't think of anything else that went in his office that I didn't read. And that was a one thing because there was an NDA associated with it. And it was only, it was eyes only for service chiefs and vice chiefs. So I did that for three years. That's the only NDA I ever heard of. It was a big, highly charged political issue. And so the nothing, four-star generals didn't comply. So n- nothing like this have you relative to, again, non-general officers, non-national policies, have you ever seen an NDA? Never. Never. Right. And, and we, we completely reorganized the Marine Corps in 2010. We had a pretty big group coming in there. And um, I believe that everything associated that was labeled, um, you know, no foreign or something like that. And the people that were in the room was understood this is not for discussion. And there were a couple leaks. Um, Record Times got something. And it was reinforced to people in the room that this discussion is meant to be a discussion so that we can uh, go over all possible outcomes. And when you leak something out, all it does is prevent us from building a better Marine Corps. But there was there was no NDA on that at all. I, I would have been shocked. Right. No, I think, would have been beyond shocked that, if General Amos would have asked for an NDA. Kind of the same reaction when you hear uh, we're not a we're not a closed with force, right? What? Yeah, shocking. Yeah, that. I mean, that. Like, come on, that's not true. Things like that. Um, Tim, what do you read? Who can hold the sea? By James D. Horn Fisher. His last oh, book. Oh my God! You should yeah. have heard the pitter patter of heartbeats. Oh yeah, I saw. It. I saw it came out. It's the U.S. Navy in the Cold War years. 45 to 60, you start reading this thing, and you're like, holy shit, we're doing it again. There was so much that go went on after World War II as we flailed around with all this, uh, uh, all these new ideas and concepts about how to fight in future war that we're going through right now. It's, it's, it's hysterical. I mean, in 1946, they couldn't put an aircraft carrier to sea. They could, they, they, they could barely crew any ships at all. It's, it's just, it's, it is an, an amazing story. And I've gotten as far as uh, uh, through the Korean War, and it's just um, it is it, it it is an interesting tale of 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 a service dealing with the exact same thing we're dealing with right now. And Tim was so excited; he told us all that, "Hey, look at this!" And Will says, "I've already got mine." Na 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 na. Right? I was like, "Damn, Will, can't you ever let Timmy like have?" Yeah, no, I'm bone. all up. It's it's good. It's a, it's a it's a it's a good history. It is, and a, a perfect example of a leapfrog change is Hyman Rick over in nuclear uh, propulsion. But that, but that was something where you could prove. Was the was the LCS? I don't was, think there was a leapfrog. Which one? We, we never what? got rid of other ships. Oh, that's innovating. You're right. You're right. You're, yeah, we never did get that. That is exactly right. Forget what I and, just said. And they were in a very small test bed. Yeah, and they didn't, but it's, they it's, didn't get it's, rid of all the diesel electric submarines and then say, "Oh, we're going to have all nukes." We kept yeah, diesel right, submarines right. and we built nukes, and then they worked, and then we converted. 
that's a, but it's it's a it's an interesting tale. Typical horn fisher. Well, Will, what are you reading? I just finished Peter the Great. Great story, nine hundred pages. Took me like three weeks to get through it. The next on the agenda is Can We Hold the Sea? Um, but beyond what I'm reading, we, we got to talk about for at least one minute the most recent communication issue from the Marine Corps. Oh, for God's sakes! No, we have Why? because it's 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 illustrative. It's illustrative. Of so to celebrate it, Pride it, Month. Every, Right. Everyone has seen the tweet from Headquarters Marine Corps. It's a, it's a helmet with a helmet liner with five or six M16 rounds in rainbow colors and written on the helmet liner is proud to serve. That's, you know, we're celebrating Pride Month. And um, the visceral reaction that I've had from people around here is pretty impressive. And what's interesting to me is, is that there is no unit that Dave Berger or Eric Smith ever served in where they thought it was acceptable for people to put ammunition stowed in a, in a helmet band or to write, <laughs> to write on their helmet whatever band. you wanted to write on your helmet band. There is not a squad, platoon, company, battalion, regiment, division that they ever served in. And... To put that out and then to use the word proud, right? We talk about Marine Corps communication. We are the few and the proud. And to hijack that language, it's it's absolutely stunning to me. Um, you can do whatever you want with any of these particular months. I think that they're they're horrible. Um, I think the idea that we highlight our differences and that'll somehow bring us together is ridiculous. Um, but an organization that the first thing you do in recruit training is to try and break down those differences to get people to become cohesive team members. Um, but then the imagery that they used, it's almost... They're attempting to be provocative to um, people with significant core beliefs other than their own. If you want to celebrate Pride Month, go for it. But the idea that you're going to put a violation of Marine Corps uniform regulations in a way to celebrate it is, uh, is a, to me, it's just an epic communication failure. Um, that is official Marine Corps policy now. And it's, it's absolutely bizarre. The idea that no gunny, major, colonel, lieutenant general could have pointed that out, that, hey, you know, maybe we ought to think about that. I, I'm not real big on Pride Month, but if, if we feel like we got to do something, we can do it. But that imagery, I mean... Maybe they threw out the image of the rainbow flag on the fucking Marine Corps War Memorial. So that, that might be too much. So we'll go with something like this. But if that's the case, no wonder we can't communicate force design. Something as simple as that. No, when you see the, the image of the helmet, and I'll, put, and I'll put it in here, 
uh, in the post. Um, it's not Marine. Anybody no. who's been a Marine, right, will look at it and say, yeah, if if a company gunny saw that shit, you lost that shit. And you'd be playing fuck fuck for a while. Because it's not the way we do it. Ever. Now, I know in Full Metal Jacket, they did it. Okay. And probably in shitty units, they did it. But in the Marine Corps I served in, you didn't do that shit ever. Ever. And so, yeah. Tim? I got to tell you, it was emotional for me for a second there. You know, there's... In my neighborhood, but you know, but again, what, what people, Kansas. but but again, what people are going to say is, oh, you're anti-gay, uh, you're anti uh, whatever, you know, you know, you're all of that. That's what you're. That's what is at the root of all of this. Will people can say what they want? I'm just telling you, Dave Berger never served in a unit where it was acceptable to put M16 rounds in your helmet band let alone write whatever personal expression you wanted on there. And now it's official Marine Corps A-OK. Marine Corps emblem is in the bottom left-hand corner of that tweet. That is bizarre to me. I guarantee you that the Commandant didn't see that before it went out. But the fact that someone in PAO think that that's okay, it shows we don't know how to communicate. Either that or uh, maybe... The whole Marine Corps was not who that was intended to go to. Um, Come on. But, you know, I, I got to tell you something. When it comes out of um, that account, the whole world, it's yeah. going to the whole world. I just, in, in my neighborhood in Lenexa, Kansas, where the closest active duty Marines are the recruiters, and there's a reserve unit about 30 miles from here. There are four people that got Marine Corps flags out every single day. I see more Marine Corps stickers on cars here than I see Army. And Fort Leavenworth is right up the road. Yeah, it's Army country. I wanted to take my damn flag down. I mean, visceral. The idea and, and the words, and maybe there was a communication expert out there that's going to riff on that, the few and the proud and put on there, proud to serve. Um, If they didn't recognize that language and how those two fit together, then they're fucking idiots. They got no business writing for the Marine Corps like that. And if they did it on purpose, I don't know. Maybe that's where we're going. I don't understand it. It makes it hard to recruit. And part of our job in the Alumni Association is to recruit, I think. Um, it makes it hard to recruit. It just does. Um, and it's, I mean, it's bizarre to me. I've had, I don't get a lot of Marine Corps stuff from friends of mine and people, et cetera, like that. I've had that thing hit my inbox probably 15 times. I mean, it's visceral out there and it's 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 just bad it's stupid um but it it uh it goes along with own west article um and we took one of our great strengths and core competencies 
our ability to communicate. And I don't know what we're doing with it, but I don't think we're getting it right. So, yeah. but but again, what what your the reaction to the backlash is? Oh, you're anti-gay. That's the reaction to the. It's not going to be a nuanced discussion about about the vehicle that was used, what it communicates. It's not going to be that. It's just going to be. It's almost the same way. Oh, these guys are old fuddy duddies. They don't like change, you know. And and again, the whole concept of measured, thoughtful discourse in this country is fucking dead, right? Fucking dead. You know, Tim. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The only other organization that I have seen that I respect totally. And 100% confidence is is the Delta Force, whatever the hell they call those CAG guys now, right? And I think the Marine Corps should have the exact same social media policy that they have, which is no goddamn social media at any Marine Corps organization for any reason whatsoever. I don't know what it does for our recruiting. Obviously, that wasn't a player when I was on recruiting duty, but I doubt it's going to do very – I doubt it's doing that much. But there's nothing that's come out of Marine Corps Twitter account but problems. What the hell has it ever done anything? What has it ever got a tweet that 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 is about like, hey, way to go, Marine Corps? That's a great tweet. Who gives a fuck what the Marine Corps is tweeting? We have no business even being in that in that realm, in in my humble opinion. But they have listen to what Will, how he started uh, uh, describing that thing, and imagine what my inbox looked like because I was getting it from my dad and his friends. Because whenever they send him something, always CC and me. I've got it just as and, and it was an it was an unforced error. Who's it impressing? I don't think it's impressing gay people necessarily. Necessarily, I don't know, but it's just a stupid, stupid tone deaf thing to do, and you you get a feeling like the elites that are running things, who are not doing it that well, do this stuff to irritate you because they can't possibly think when they sent that tweet out. Ah, well, those guys from All Marine Radio are gonna love this one. They're gonna think we're cool. No, we're not. We're gonna think that you guys are horrible stewards of our organization and we're sad and you're making us cranky what the fuck you know cranky er yeah i got that thing forwarded to me i don't even know how many times and yeah. uh and, and i will say i'm not gonna lie about it i mean some people um are are anti-gay about that's their that's their objection right um, others are, um, I would say the majority of my friends are along the lines of will and Tim. One, why are we doing this? What are we trying to be? Are we trying to be this woke organization that extends ourselves into lanes that we, uh, that this organization has no business being in, you know? And yeah. so, um, so again, m- m- my perspective is I don't give a shit who you sleep with, Right. Um, you know, I give a shit if you do your job. And, um, but when you see the picture, it's the things that jump out at you is that ain't Marine, you know, and yet this is the way we're holding ourselves out in order to be, to curry what favor. And I don't know. I, I, and again, I would, 
I would limit what goes out on Twitter. I mean, you had the the little pissing contest that what second, um, second uh, two mass headquarters. Yeah, it wasn't headquarters. It oh, was yeah, there yeah, yeah. in what's that intelligence group uh, thing that that whatever that is. They get into a pissing contest, you know, what, with Tucker Carlson or something? And they're, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. and, and you're reading these things and you're going, like, what 15 year old, what snarky ass 15 year old is doing this shit? Right. And this reflects on your organization. Right. Um, Peter Ostrowski, uh, whose son was killed in an Amtrak, in that Amtrak that went down off the coast, it'll be two years here in. Uh, at the end of July, August, right? Um, he's still, um, I guess, um, he sees what 15th Mew puts out on their Facebook page. They're doing uh, underwater egress training. Headline on a post with a bunch of pictures. Sink or swim? Question mark. And you, and now th- again, this is done by the, this is done by the fifteenth Mew, who lost eight Marines and a sailor, less than twenty four months ago, and that's the level of scrutiny that goes on with this stuff. It and it just seems like what is this like your high school fucking newspaper gone wrong? Is that the level of professionalism that is, you know, that is you know put out there by Stratcom? That's now they've got a, a new name, Stratcom. What, what the fuck is that? It sounds like something that should take place, like in the White House. Oh no, it's 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 PAO. <laughs> oh, oh, PAO is now Stratcom. Yes, very serious. Except it's not. So anyway, yeah, no, a lot of uh, a lot of angst generated by that. And like I said, I don't give a fuck who you sleep with. Will you do your job? But why does the institution, um, in my opinion, again, I saw it and I just thought, what in the fuck are we doing? But anyway. Um, all right, boys. Thank you. I appreciate your time tonight, Will. Yeah, on that happy note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, painful. And, but, you know, and, and my response to people is, you're only going to see more of it in the future. There's going to be people that applaud the shit out of that stuff. And and like I said, I mean, to me, what I most enjoy about, you know, All Marine Radio just started its seventh year. And, and um, what I've always enjoyed about this is you bring smart people on, you ask them, you know, you, you talk about difficult things, you ask them to footnote, right, their answers, and then you call them out on things that are bullshit. And it, it makes for entertaining um I don't know, intellectual discourse. But it's dead in the nation. I remember watching Tim Russert, you know, years ago. Tim Russert, he fed it to anybody, right? Yeah, he, did. he was good. He was, I mean, and you you were going to, you were going to, and he was going to jam, your, you know, the most painful ass jamming, right, is when it's your own words getting pounded up your own ass. And he would put up these, well, Senator, you actually said this on this date, Right. And put the next one up. You said this on this date. So when you say this, what exactly do you mean? And you'd be sitting there watching, and he would do this to everybody. I remember McNeil Lehrer hour, news hour, right? And 
was it Jim Jim Lear that was a former Marine, I think? Um, yeah. And and mm-hmm. they were you know liberal conservative, and they would they would discuss things, and they were always respectful, they were always smart, and at the end of it, you always came away smarter for listening to both sides, from smart people on both sides arguing, pointing out the nuanced you know issues with each argument. But it just seems like man, we get the fire hose out, right? We pressurize the uh, the hose itself. And then we open that thing up, and we just we just hammer the shit out of it, and that's the way we do it in this country now. And uh, so, anyway, all right, thank you, men. Well, you're dismissed. You. You're dismissed. Yeah, have a great <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys later, man. Send me the rug. That'll do it on a Friday. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, if you haven't read the Owen West piece, I would recommend you do. It's, it's, you know, it's brilliant, I think. Well done. So on that note, first weekend officially of the summer. Have a great one. Uh, we'll be back here next week. In our seventh year. I don't know why that makes me laugh. I think it's funny. Yeah. I didn't think <laughs> I didn't think we'd get through one. Uh anyway. That's been you know, the uh one of the great experiences of my life. Yeah. Opened up doors to things that have been absolutely life changing, not only for me but for a lot of people. So God bless Allman Radio. That's right. Anyway, um, I'm Mike McNamara. Have a great weekend. If I can help you help somebody, don't hesitate. See ya. I'm out.